people at your table called uh, The Unveiling. It's about the book of Revelation. So we're going to start off with a little icebreaker, get to know the people at your table. If you already know them, get to know them maybe a little better. This one is a two-question one. You guys ready for this? Two questions. What is something you hate doing and why? I guess this is four questions. And what is something you love doing and why? You guys got it? What is something you hate doing? What is something you love doing and why? Introduce yourselves. Go for it. You know what, if you're watching online, just go ahead and type it right there in the chat. We'd love to hear from you guys, too. Go for it. We'll take about another 60 seconds.
All right, about another 10 seconds. Well, I see a lot of laughter on this one. I don't know if you're laughing at what you love or laughing at what you hate. I don't know what's going on here, so all good. All right, let's do a little bit of review here. So we're in a series called The Unveiling, and the reason for that is the very first verse of the book of Revelation says this is the unveiling or the revelation of Jesus Christ. So guys, we know the other 65 books of the Bible are about Jesus, and so we're definitely going to believe that this last book of the Bible is about Jesus, especially when the title is The Revelation of Jesus Christ, right? A lot of people read it as the revelation of the Antichrist, and they see bugs as big as Volkswagens and all sorts of crazy stuff in there. But it's actually a book that meant something to the first century, and the key to understanding the book of Revelation is the other 65 books of the Bible. It's, it, he says he signified it to them. He signified it to them. It's a book of symbols, and all the symbols are in the other parts of the Bible. So to understand it, always be listening for echoes. Listen, listen for echoes of Scripture and the other parts. So let's set the context. We've already gone through chapters 1 through 3. It's the first vision in the book of Revelation. John has, a, has this vision of Jesus, and he's walking among the lampstands. He's in the t- picture that uh, the tabernacle of the Old Testament, and there was the uh, holy place was that inner, uh, the second room was the tabernacle room. So here's Jesus walking among uh, the lampstands, which are the churches. And Jesus reveals an aspect of himself to each church that they would need in order to become overcomers. At the end of that, he says, listen, if you overcome, I'm inviting you to dine with me and sit with me on my throne. And behold, a door opens up and there's a throne. So you're in the throne that he's inviting you into, now we get a picture of it in Revelation chapter 4. And uh, boy, you guys remember the throne room last time? That was something else. We found out that you, uh, we found out lots of things, all right? So in Revelation chapter 4, it emphasizes the deity of Christ, the the majesty of Christ. And here as we go into chapter 5, we're still in the throne room, but we're going to be, he emphasizes the the humanity of Christ. Isn't it interesting that one-third of the Trinity is a human being? Literally, a human being is running the universe right now. Isn't that an interesting thought? Let's read Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Um, as preachers, you never want to apologize for reading longer passages of Scripture because at least they will have heard something from God if you read the verses out loud, all right? So there we go. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. It was too many to put on your sheet there, so we'll have them up here. And I saw that the one seated on the throne was holding in his right hand an unopened scroll with writing on the inside and on the outside, and it was sealed with seven seals. Then I saw an incredibly powerful angel proclaiming with a great loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and able to break its seven seals? But no person could be found, living or dead, in all of creation. No one is worthy to open the scroll and read its contents. So I broke down weeping. This is John, who's writing the book of Revelation. He broke down weeping with intense sorrow, because there was found no one worthy to break open the scroll and read its contents. Verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the mighty lion of Judah's tribe... The root of David, he has conquered. He is the worthy one who can open up the scrolls and its seven seals. Then I saw a young lamb standing before the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the 24 elders. We got introduced to them in the last chapter. He appeared to have been slaughtered, but now was alive. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to the ends of the earth. As you can see, he's using symbolic language. Uh, Jesus isn't literally a a fluffy barnyard animal with, okay, guys got the picture. 
Verse 7, I saw the young lamb approach the throne and take the scroll from the right hand of the one who sat there. We know this is symbolic language because we saw that it was Jesus sitting on the throne in chapter 4, and now the lamb is coming and taking the scroll from the lamb. You guys getting the picture? Symbolic language? Remember, heaven is a dimension. It's a realm. It's not like a, necessarily a place. All right? God is not literally sitting on a, a Victorian chair with four legs. He cannot be limited to time and space. Remember we talked about the Bible uses the language of accommodation. That's theological terms for God uses words we can understand. Okay, he gives us earthly pictures of heavenly realities. And so that's what we're getting in here. And boy, there's some doozies in there. This is awesome. And so um, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to the ends of the earth. Verse 7, I saw the young lamb approach the throne and take the scroll from the right hand of the one who sat there. And when the 24 elders and the four living creatures saw the lamb had taken the scroll, they fell face down at the feet of the lamb and worshipped him. Each of them had a harp and golden bowls brimming full of sweet fragrance, which are the prayers of God's holy lovers. And they were all singing this new song of praise to the lamb. Here's the song they were singing. Because you were slaughtered for us, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Your blood was the price paid to redeem us. You purchased us to bring us to God out of every tribe, language, people, group, and nation. You have chosen to serve our God and formed us into a kingdom of priests who reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voices of myriads of angels in circles around the throne. So picture concentric circles of angels around the throne. As well as the voices of the living creatures and the elders, myriads in myriads. And, I, and as I watched, all of them were singing with thunderous voices. Apparently, worship is loud in heaven, okay? So don't complain about it here. We got earplugs if you need them, but hey. <laughs> Worthy is Christ the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive great power and might, wealth and wisdom and honor and glory and praise. Then every living being joined the angelic choir, every creature in, earth and on, in heaven and on earth under the earth, in the sea, and everything in them were worshiping with one voice, saying, Praise, honor, glory, and dominion to, the, to be, be to God enthroned and Christ the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures responded, Amen. And the 24 elders threw themselves face down to the ground and worshiped. I mean, this is a cosmic drama of just epic proportions. So here's John caught up in this thing. Yeah, I mean, he's swirling around, he's seeing all this stuff, and it's, it's like each one of those symbols is like a virtual reality into a, di a dimension of God, and he's trying to capture this with, uh, on, a, on parchment. So we get a heavenly glimpse of the Lamb on the throne receiving the scroll. So let's go back to verse 1. You guys ready? All right, you got some handouts there, so hopefully we got them posted for those of you online. You can follow along. Revelation 5.1, And I saw that the one seated on the throne was holding in his right hand an unopened scroll, with writing on the inside and on the outside, and it was sealed with seven seals. Because here we got this, and this is a heavenly scene. We don't want to shrink down in God to just human terms. We don't want to write the movie, Honey, I Shrunk Our God, right? We don't want to do that. But it says it was holding in his right hand. Now, the right hand in the Bible always signifies strength and salvation and power and blessing and anointing, right? And so I give you a bunch of references for those in your notes. But God uses his right hand to save you, to deliver you, to anoint you, to bless you. That's his hand of blessing, right? Here's the, some things, guys. We are the people of his right hand. We are the right hand company, okay? We are the Benjamin company. Remember, uh, remember uh, Jacob, who had his name changed to Israel, he had 12 sons. The final son's name was Benjamin, and his, uh, his name meant the son of my right hand. This is about to get good. You ready? 
Uh, they're naming sons of my right hand. Every Benjamite in the Bible was left-handed. A whole tribe full of, of southpaws, full of lefties. Can you guys believe that? You guys are a Benjamite company. Here's what that means. If we're at God's right hand and we're left-handed, as we walk with him, our hands are grasped with his hands. When it says we are at his right hand, it's a revelation of sonship. The Benjamite, um, the Benjamite tribe was a revelation of sonship, those who walked with God and grasped his hand. Now, where, uh, what, um, don't answer this in case you don't know it. I don't want anyone to feel wrong. But um, what author in the Bible was it that gave us the revelation of sonship and adoption? It was Paul. And Paul was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Benjamite. How are we doing? We're only on like the first phrase. We got a whole bunch more here. This is going to be good. You are God's right-hand man. The right hand of God is salvation. We are the right-hand company. I, mean, I, I think that's powerful. Again, the right hand is not a physical location, but it's the right to rule. Okay? So we are the right-hand company. Let's talk about the seven-sealed book of the Lamb. Now, the scroll that he was holding, uh, some translations say book. It's not a book with, like, binding like we would think of. Picture parchment paper rolled up. You know, I forget what it was. Like, the book of Romans, if it was written on the front and back, it would be about 16 feet long. Okay, so this, so picture a long, huge scroll. And notice it was written on both sides, and then it was rolled up, and it was sealed with seven seals. Okay, so picture the um, scroll not as having seven seals on the outside, but picture it's like as you break open a seal, and then you roll it a little bit, and there's another seal. And you got to break open that seal. So the breaking open the seals is the progressive revelation of whatever's in this scroll. So when we get to the seventh seal, we're going to find out later on there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes. Okay, so we're going to find out what that is at a later time in another chapter. So what is this seven-sealed book? Now, a lot of people say it's the title deed to the universe, and I've seen some great arguments for that. I actually used to teach that myself, but I'm seeing it a little bit differently now. So I, I think that's legitimate. Um, but uh, let me just say this. Does anyone want to guess how many times you were sealed with the Holy Spirit as a believer in the New Testament? Seven times. Okay. I'm not sure you're ready for this, but we are the seven-sealed scroll that he opens up, that he breaks open. Yeah, I, I thought it was really good news. <laughs> uh, I remember when I, was, uh, I did a Ephesians study with Brian Simmons, and he uh, talked about the seven sealings of the Holy Spirit. So I put those in your notes. But uh, the first sealing was to be made secure. Um, it makes you want to go back and watch the video of when these happened to us, doesn't it? It's like, God, I want to know what this was like. Uh, the second seal was to be authenticated or to be marked with a seal. It to be authenticated. A third seal was to certify genuineness. Another one was a mark of ownership. I love it that the Holy Spirit marks your life and says, this one is mine. I love that. Uh, the fifth seal was a seal of approval. The sixth one was a seal of righteousness. The seventh one was a seal denoting a promise to be fulfilled. You and I are the seven-sealed scroll that he opens up and breaks open. This is the unveiling of the progression of Christ uh, being revealed in our life. Listen, guys, your destiny is to be made like Jim. <laughs> Jim, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, let's, let's turn that one into a meme. Yeah. I think cults have been started on a lot less than that one. Jeez. Your destiny is to be made like Jesus. You're being conformed into his image. And here's the thing. As you see him, you become like him. It's as you see him as he now is enthroned in heaven. We become more like him. Why? Because we've been made one with him. So the unveiling of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, is actually the revelation of you, because whoever God is to you, he will become through you. 
So when you see God who he is, now you see who you are and what you're able to do, and now you're able to bring that to the world. There's Christ in you, but the hope of glory is Christ coming through you to the world. I got some good news for you. Jesus didn't die so we could just go to church on Sunday. He didn't die so we could just have an eternal church service in, in heaven. Listen, I've been to some good church services. After a couple million years, it's going to get boring. We're not going to just be doing church up in heaven. We're going to be ruling and reigning with the ever-expanding galaxy. I mean, yeah. What, what I, what I think what I read, that they know of five billion galaxies right now, of known galaxies. I'm not sure who counts all these things. That would be kind of a long job. But remember when he said, let there be light? He never told it to stop, and the galaxies are literally expanding at the speed of light. We get to rule. I mean, the final verse of the Bible, one of the, uh, one of the final phrases, it says, and we will reign with him forever. Wow, that's good news. The father loves the son so much that he's going to fill the universe with lookalikes of his son. Everything you love about Jesus, he's making you into that very same thing. So we are that seven-sealed scroll that he holds in his right hand of power. And the breaking open of those scrolls is Christ within us being released. It's the process of us becoming like Christ, and there's something else broken open, another revelation, another yielding of him, and then it unfolds a little bit more. And then it unfolds a little bit more. He must rip off the seals from the scroll that, are, that we are so that we will be a revelation of the Christ within. Jesus is the word. We are the scroll. We are the living epistles that people will read. Christ in heaven is not the hope of glory. It's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. So Christ in you is what's written on the inside. The hope of glory is what's written on the outside. The revelation of Christ is that writing on the scroll on the inside. The revelation of Christ to the world through your life. You guys know this is the opposite of the NFL. We don't play on it. The NFL uh, practices, plays on Sunday. They practice all week to play on Sundays. We practice on Sunday to play all week. This is, this is getting you equipped to go and live your life. Your life is actually the curriculum for Christ-likeness. He's written it on the inside, and as it gets unveiled, we're able to unveil Jesus to people watching. You carry the hope of glory for your family, for this city, and for nations. I'm not, I'm not sure if you ever watch the news. I try not to. I call it the, uh, the Ten Spies Network, but... They could use a revelation of Jesus right now. I got some good news for you. God is doing some things on this planet that we don't even know about. He's doing more in your life than you know about. The essence of every prophetic word that you get is there's more going on than you know. God's plans are bigger than you know. And we need to hear those things. You know what we need to do even more than hear them? We need to believe them. So I'd see the seven seals as similar to like seven diplomas, right? So you like roll up a diploma. And so this is like, like seven diplomas rolled up together and they get broken open, more unveiling, broken open. Then we're able to represent him more accurately. As we allow Christ to be broken open and released through us more and more, he's going to break through our unbelief, break through our fear and distractions and greed and apathy. And we will no longer uh, hide the light of the world under the uh, basket of flesh. Listen, guys, he's trying to de-self the church. Wait till you see what the judgments are in the book of Revelation. It's all to get rid of that beastly nature inside of you. Oh, yeah, he's got a plan for your life. God wants you more holy than you want yourself holy. 
<laughs> he wants you to look like Jesus more than you want to look like Jesus. So the scroll was full of writing inside and outside. Okay, the seven seals, the uh, seven denotes the uh, complete and perfect revelation, the totality of Christ's character. It's interesting, the fivefold ministry that we find out in Ephesians 4, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. What's the whole point of them? So we can do church and have great services and have some conferences. No, that's actually not it. So we can be grown up into the full stature, the mature man of Christ. There's a grace in different people's lives, not so that you can go, wow, look at the grace in that person's life, so that you can begin to walk in the things that are an aspect of Jesus. Guys, when you, here, this will change your life as you begin to read the Bible as if it's actually true. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. But so many times we can read it devotionally and, and try to get some good nuggets out of it. And we're supposed to, you know, a chapter day keeps the devil away. We got all these little things that we do. But guys, it is a book that's, uh, he's, over and over in the book of Revelation, he says, eat this book. Eat this scroll. There's something about taking it out on the inside, digesting it until it becomes strength. How are we doing? All right, that was verse one. Do we need to just close in prayer after verse one? It's like I just want to lay on the stage and do some snow angels or something. Goodness gracious. Verse two, then I saw an incredibly powerful angel. It's interesting. There's, uh, I think there's 18 unnamed angels in the book of Revelation. So this is one of them. Then I saw an incredibly powerful angel proclaiming with a great loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seven seals. Notice the whole issue of the scroll is worthy. Okay, just keep that locked in your mind. <laughs> All right, so here he is in the middle of this cosmic drama. There's the, um, there's the one sitting on the throne. He can't see his form. Remember, he can only see his brilliance. He's shining like diamonds. There's this emerald rainbow coming out. There's a sea of glass. There's, uh, there's these creatures with four different faces on them. You've got the 24 elders. You've got the sea of humanity. You've got all these things going on. And now this almighty uh, angel thunders in the middle of it, and he's inviting someone to open up this scroll who's worthy. Verse 3, but no one could be found, living or dead in all of creation. No one was worthy. Remember, here's the issue again. We need someone who's worthy to open the scroll and read its contents. So I broke down weeping with intense sorrow, because there was found no one worthy to break open the scroll and read its contents. The word worthy means able. Okay, that's the same idea there. Nowhere else in the book of Revelation does John begin to weep. I mean, John sees some crazy things in there. I mean, bees coming out and plagues and blood going up to here and all sorts of stuff. He doesn't weep at that. He's weeping that no one can open up this revelation of this scroll. John's weeping represents you and me. We've all groaned and travailed with all of creation for the sons of God to be revealed. The Bible says there's literally a weeping that we would be unveiled. Remember that passage in Romans 8 where it says all of creation is groaning that the sons of God would be revealed? It's that word unveiled. It's the unveiling of Jesus that, that we're crying out for. So John, in a figurative sense, represents us. Verse 5, then one of the elders, so one of the 24 elders, he interrupts this whole scene and, and he said to me, stop weeping, look, the mighty lion of Jude's, Judah's tribe, the root of David. Are you guys hearing echoes of Old Testament language in here? Okay. The mighty lion of Judah's tribe, the root of David, he has conquered. He is the worthy one who can open the scroll and its seven seals. Okay. So let's listen for this echo. So Genesis 49.10. This is Jacob. He's pronouncing a blessing on each one of his sons. And as he comes to his son Judah, he says this. I think we got it up there. Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. 
Okay, you know what Shiloh means? It means the worthy one, one who is worthy. Here's what Jacob is saying. The kings of Israel will always come from the tribe of Judah until the one and only one, the worthy one, comes. And it's only his right to rule and reign, and then it will never pass away. Boy, this is good news. So here's John. He turns, and he sees this lion of the tribe of Judah. He sees this one who is worthy, who has the right to rule. And um, immediately, all of heaven shouts, he is worthy. What are they saying? Here comes Shiloh, the worthy one that Jacob prophesied about millennia before. I mean, this is just good news, guys. This is Shiloh. And what's he like? He's like a lion because he's conquered. He's conquered Satan, death, hell, the grave, your sin, your flesh. He's conquered everything that hinders man from being enthroned in that heavenly realm. Then he says he's the root of David. Here's another echo from the Old Testament. Are we doing okay? Root of David. And so this one who's designated as the lion of the tribe of Judah, his roots are in David. In other words, this one that he's seeing, his roots sprang up from David's offspring. Remember when God said to David in 2 Samuel 7, 12, and 13 that David would have a descendant, and this descendant would be a root of David, and of his lineage would ultimately come the one who would sit upon the throne, and it said this, he would reign forever and ever, and his kingdom would be without end. So when they call him the root of David, they're saying, this is the one. That's why you see in all the genealogies, remember that there's those painful chapters of so-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so begat so-and-so. You're like, oh my gosh. You suddenly become a speed reader for the first time, right? So Matthew, he's real careful to trace it back to David. Why? Because we knew that this one with the right to rule and reign, who would, who would, be the, who would bring this kingdom that would never end, this everlasting kingdom, it would come from David. And so here is all of heaven recognizing that Shiloh, This is that root of David. This is that which was spoken of. For you Star Wars fans, the chosen one. I guess that was Neo also. Anyway, David was the root. Jesus was the flower, so to speak. Revelation 5, 6. Do you see how fast we just moved through five verses there? So we took some time on one. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. I received that encouraging clap. Thank you for that. Do I have a second? Yes. All right, we're going to make it. All right, verse 6. Then I saw a young lamb standing before the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the 24 elders. Again, we were introduced to them in the chapter before. He appeared to have been slaughtered, but now was alive. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to the ends of the earth. So here's this conquering lamb, but he's also the wounded lamb. Okay, so Jesus, he's like this lion lamb. He conquers, but he was also wounded. Remember when John the Baptist, remember, we're hearing another echo here. John the Baptist saw Jesus, and he said, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in the Jewish mind, a lamb pretty much sums up all of those Old Testament sacrifices. Yeah, they had blood of bulls and goats and pigeons, and they had all sorts of animals. But the lamb was one that really kind of signified all of it. You know, it was the lamb, uh, the blood of the lamb that was put on the doorpost on the, um, on the Passover meal. And so here, the word for lamb is actually little lamb, or one translation says a lambkin. I mean, picture a little, innocent baby lamb. And in man's eyes, they see a lamb and they think that's weakness. But God says, here's my power, a lamb who's willing to die for his enemies. And I tell you what, in your life and my life, for these seals to be broken up, sometimes we're going to need him to be the lion, sometimes we're going to need him to be the lamb. The term lamb is used 28 times in Revelation. 
There's, there's, two, there's, there's that conquering lamb, and there's like that sacrificial lamb. He appears two different ways in the book of Revelation. We need to experience him as the lion and the lamb. As the lion, he's Christ the king. He's dealt, dealt with every foe. He's conquered Satan. As the young, gentle lamb, he deals with sin and self. This is Christ our Savior. We all right? All right, let me tell you how I see Revelation chapter 5. Okay, here's how I see it. I believe this is Easter Sunday morning. I believe this is after Jesus died and he rose from the dead. Remember, as he's going, ascending into heaven, he stops by the earth and he sees Mary Magdalene, kind of checks up on her, reassures her everything's going to be okay. And what does she do? Remember, she clings to him and says, don't leave us. And uh, Jesus says this, do not cling to me, can't touch this, for I have not yet ascended to your father and my father, to my God and your God. Right? And so it's interesting. He's letting her know it's okay. And he says, listen, I've got, I'm still ascending. Don't, I, don't stop me. I'm on my way to do something. Right? And then he goes and he ascends into the invisible half of the universe. Okay? I would suggest to you, this is what's happening in Revelation chapter 5. Where was Jesus coming from? Well, if he's going into the throne room, he's just come from the brazen altar. He's just spilt his blood. And now he's going and he's taking that blood into that heavenly throne room, into that heavenly mercy seat, and applying his blood, and he is the worthy one right there. This is the picture of the finished work of Christ. How are we doing? All right, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the ends of the earth. So horn in the Bible always represents authority. When you see the horn of David, it was always a picture of the authority of David, his right to rule. Uh, the lamb with seven horns, it would be his complete and absolute authority. If you remember Matthew 28, 18, Jesus had died, risen from the dead. He appears to his disciples. And before he ascends into heaven, he says this. And Jesus came to them and said, this is Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He wasn't like, hey, I got a little bit, but we've got some work to do, church. And so you need to pray because if you don't pray enough, you know, there's going to be an earthquake and California is going to fall off into the ocean. And no, he didn't say any of that stuff. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. The lamb with seven eyes speaks of the fullness of the revelation that he possesses. It says it's the sevenfold spirit of God. If the Trinity can be three in one, the Holy Spirit can be seven in one. And we've looked at those pictures in uh, other parts of Revelation where uh, in Isaiah 11, we've got the spirit of wisdom and counsel and might and the fear of the Lord. There's a sevenfold manifestation, seven aspects of the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, I like this stuff. I mean, we're getting glimpses into holy things here with, uh, with the book of Revelation. But it's not just some esoteric, you know, when we all get to heaven. Remember, heaven is within reach. It's at hand. It's as close as, as, close as the air that we breathe. When Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, you know, he said, our father who art in heaven. He wasn't saying, our father in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> no, that's not what he was saying. He was saying, uh, dear father. He called him Abba. Jesus was the one who brought a revelation of the Father. He said, uh, dear Father, um, uh, who art in heaven, who is a, basically as close as the air that you breathe. Remember in Jewish thinking, there was three levels of heaven. You're like, Jim, where do you get that? Well, if Paul was taken to the third heaven, a little Jewish arithmetic tells us there were three levels of heaven. How are we doing? <laughs> the first heaven was, uh, was, the, was the created order. It was the, it, was, it was the natural order. When you see in the uh, Old Testament, it says God spoke out of heaven. It was right from the immediate atmosphere. That's why they're falling down. They're freaking out. It's right here. It wasn't just a booming voice in the sky. It was speaking out of heaven. So when he says, heaven, he says, heaven, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Guys, heaven is within reach. Remember, God's not trying to get you into heaven when you die. He's trying to get you into heaven before you die. 
He's trying to have you step into the reality that the kingdom of God is available. His presence, his power, his person is available. It's within reach. So you know what that means? It means on Monday morning, it means on Sunday when you're driving out of the parking lot and someone cuts you off, whatever it might be, whatever your situation is that you're facing, heaven is at hand. I mean, we jokingly say the reason you look down to pray is because heaven's right here. He's in you. Where are we at? Verse 7. Verse 7. I saw the young lamb approach the throne and take the scroll from the right hand of the one who sat there. Again, I just love this. The lamb comes and takes the scroll from the lamb. And uh, the lamb's the one who opens for all creation the mystery of our sonship. Uh, We are the sons and daughters of the living God. The DNA of God has been written on us. That's why it says you've been regenerated. You've been regenerated. Jesus is the one who breaks the seals, but he's also the one who reads it and unfolds it. The whole thing is him. Okay, he takes the scroll. He's the one who paid for the scroll. He's the one who's worthy for the scroll. He's the one who's breaking it. It's all about him. Okay? So if you're ever uh, struggling with theology, um, big Jesus, little man. His part's really big. Our part is believe and receive. Doubt and do without. There we go. Verse 8. <clears throat> and when the 24 elders and the four living creatures saw the lamb had taken the scroll, they, they, had a, they had a reaction here. They fell face down at the feet of the lamb and worshipped him. Each of them had a harp and golden bowls brimming full of sweet fragrant incense, which are the prayers of God's holy lovers. So this heavenly worship explosion begins when they realize the lamb's overcome, all heaven breaks loose, all right? He's the one who triumphed over all. He's the worthy one to break open the seals. The plans of God can now be established in your life. Here's what it is. A harp, what's a harp? It's a 10-stringed instrument. Are you guys ready for this? The harp is in you. You are the harp. You've got two hands, two feet, two eyes, two ears, one mouth, and one heart that beats for him. You are the 10-stringed instrument that he plucks and releases his sound to to this world. You are a walking 10-stringed harp. (laughs) A bowl is a picture of intercession or prayer. And it says your prayers are perfume. You know what that means? Your prayer life don't stink. Your voice is sweet to the Lord and it carries his fragrance. Guys, we don't pray from an earthbound perspective. I feel like that's a a really frustrating way to pray. That's how you get tired after 30 seconds of prayer. Like, oh my gosh, what? I was on my 30 seconds. I was trying to pray an hour. And it's like, oh, I've already prayed for everything. That's an earthbound prayer. That's going from earth, earthly problems, earthly resources, begging God in a far, far galaxy to come and rescue me. He already came and rescued us in the cross. There was an invasion that's working its way out in your life and my life. That's why we don't pray for revival. As if God's up there going, mm-mm, nope, I don't think so. You're not worthy. No, you ain't worthy. That's why he sent his son, Shiloh, the worthy one. You've been united with him. So now God delights to treat you as if you were Jesus himself. So now you have been uh, buried. You've been buried with Christ, joined with him, raised with him, seated with him. Son of my right hand, you are seated next to the Father. So now when we come into the throne room, we come boldly to the throne of grace. Not the throne of good works, not, oh, if I'm worthy enough, I can work it up enough, and maybe he'll let me get a peek. And No, no, no. He says, you are now, right now, at this moment, you are bilocational. You are in heaven and on earth. 
And so when we pray, we're recognizing our sonship, our daughtership. We're recognizing where we are seated. We're we're allowing God to unveil these mysteries to us. So now we're hearing what heaven's praying, and our prayers become an echo of what heaven's saying. I got some good news. Heaven uh, isn't hopeless about the American economy or about inflation or about the Democrats or the Republicans or any other kins. (laughs) Heaven's not hopeless. And so if you're hopeless, you're believing a lie and you're listening to the wrong voice. And so as we come up, as we come up here, what was the invitation in chapter four? Come up here. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Here's an open door. Come up here. Fix your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For where you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, with Christ, who is your life. What's he doing? He's giving us pictures of reality. But Jim, it doesn't feel like it. Well, guys, we're not going to ascend into truth by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. I've got some news for you. Your feelings can lie to you. They're not the highest indicator of truth. Has anyone figured that one out? I just don't feel safe. Well, sometimes I don't either, but luckily it's not based on my feelings. That's why it's called the faith, not the feeling. So as we, as we hear in the heavenly realm, we echo it on earth. And those become the sweet prayers, those bowls of incense to the Lord. Revelation 5, 9, and they were all singing this new song of praise to the Lamb. Here's the song they were singing. Because you were slaughtered for us, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Your blood was the price paid to redeem us. You purchased us to bring us to God. I don't know about you. There's something about that phrase. You purchased us to bring us, not to make us worker bees. You know, oh, God needed some more workers. And no, 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 he, he, God needs nothing. God created you just, the way, just like when a husband and a wife, out of their love, they create children to share that love with. That was what the Trinity did. They didn't need us. I always joke and say, the reason I had three boys is so I don't have to do yard work. We didn't actually have boys so that they would do yard work. <clears throat> it's just a nice benefit. <clears throat> Listen, I wasn't made to go outside, okay? I'm an indoor athlete. Just give me a break here, all right? What did it say? He paid to redeem it. He purchased you to bring you to God. Guys, he's the one pursuing you. It may look like we're pursuing him, but all we have to do is uh, he's pursuing us, and we stop long enough, he runs into us. Adam and Eve sinned. What does he say? You stupid, rotten sinners. How could you blow it this bad? You just set all creation in earthquakes, all the famines, pestilence. No, no, that's not what he says. Um, Adam and Eve sinned, and the first thing God does, he says, where are you? They were hiding. He's like, man, where's my friends? I, I miss walking with you. That's the heart of the Father. He purchased us to bring us to God. Boy, somebody write that on your mirror or a sticky note in your mirror. All right. New song. Every revelation of God needs a new song to express it. I'm not saying God gets bored of our songs, but we have to get past these emo worship songs, which are all about how horrible it is, and they're all about us. It's horrible right now. Everything's stinky, but one day it's going to be awesome, Jesus. You know, I mean, get healed up. You know, you can sing that song if you want, but can we move past that? Can we move past some songs that are about God and Jesus and not all about us? Since when did worship songs become about us? Play those on the radio if you want, but don't call them worship songs. Emo worship isn't literally a a genre, but it feels like it is. 
Every revelation of God needs a new song to express it. So you artists and musicians out there, you are commissioned to write new songs to express the new revelations of his heart, the new revelations of his throne room, and his love. Okay, thank you, Rachel. I appreciate that. Thank you. Notice there will be a united people on the throne that reveal this lamb. Christ is singing this song through his people. It's the song of the lamb. <clears throat> Revelation 5.10, you have chosen us to serve our God and formed us into a kingdom of priests who reign on the earth. <clears throat> Here's the good news. I hear a lot of teaching out there where it's like, you know, the businessmen are the, are the kings and the businesswomen are the kings and then the priests are like the, the pastors and you know, it's just a real false dichotomy, you know. You don't have to choose between being a king and a priest. You get to be a kingdom of priests. This, this is kind of an elastic phrase that you can, the way you can translate it. It can be a kingdom of priests, priestly kings, kingly priests, kings and priests. <clears throat> In the New Testament, you get to be the whole package. I'm not saying you might not be more wired as a king, but, uh, you know, affluence, influence, territory, strategy. <clears throat> but um, you get to be a priestly king, <laughs> You're not just stuck with your normal modus operandi, right? And so, and if you're a priest, you're a more intercession, glory, worship, prayer, invisible realm, okay? You get to be a kingly priest. You don't have to choose between them. We are of the Melchizedek priesthood. He was a king and a priest. You get the authority of the king. So listen, how about start reigning over your time? You get to reign over your checkbook. You get to reign over your passions and your flesh, you get the intimacy of the priest to offer sacrifices of God, of praise and love and giving. And you also have the privilege of representing other people to God through intercession. Guys, our prayers actually work. It's not just filling up time or like punching a card. There's literally things that will not happen unless someone with authority on earth hears from heaven and agrees with it and declares it out of their mouth. Why doesn't God just do stuff? Because he's a co-laboring kind of God. He's not a... Uh, Dictator, socialist. Okay, there we go. Verse 11. You guys know, like dictators, they don't ask other people's opinions. They just do it. They don't care if you help or not. They're going to force you into help. God's not like that. We all right? Wasn't a hugely political statement. Verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voices of myriads of angels in circles around the throne. Just such a powerful picture. I mean, literally, remember, the center of the universe, he's showing us. Remember, Moses, and we saw last time, Moses saw this heavenly tabernacle. I mean, Moses saw the heavenly tabernacle, and God says, go build me an earthly model of it. And so now, John is standing in it, and he's describing to us the heavenly version of this thing, right? And so, um, and so yeah, so they've got the throne room, you've got the 24 elders, you've got the four living creatures, you've got the sea of glass, you've got these concentric circles, lots of singing, lots of angels, and it says myriads of angels. Okay, if taken literally, this would be thousands of thousands, which would be 10 million. Okay, I don't think this is literal. But I'm just trying to give you a picture. And then, it's, and then it says um, myriads of myriads. Um, that would be 10,000 angels, and there's 10,000 groups of these 10,000s. So that would be 10 million, right? And uh, I'm sorry, that would be 100 million. Sorry. So if we literally took this, it would be 100 million plus 10 million. That would be 110 million. I don't think it actually literally means that, but just picture a whole bunch of it. Here's why I don't think that is because they took the largest number in Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. They took the largest number and made it plural. So it'd be like saying there's zillions of angels. That's how I would take it. Verse 12, we all right? And as I watched, all of them were singing with thunderous voices, loud in heaven. Worthy is Christ the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive great power and might. 
wealth and wisdom and glory, honor, glory, and praise. Okay? So here is this sevenfold worship or seven virtues of the songs of the Lord. So I wrote them there for your notes. And uh, again, I, I saw Brian Simmons did these. I'm like, I am not going to do better than that. And so, um, so I want you to pay attention to these because um, at the end here, we're going we're gonna to take time. And which one of these do you need God to be in your life? Remember back in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus is walking among the churches and they had a need and he revealed an aspect of himself to them. And that revelation became exactly what they needed to overcome. Isn't that interesting? Paul, you know, I, okay, I don't want to get into this too much, but we don't need to pray for more of God. We need a revelation of what we've already got. Okay, when you're asking God for something that he's already given you, that's called unbelief. Okay, and so so many people, their prayers are actually just unbelief out loud. All right, and so what we need to do is we need to, so Paul, he said, you've received, in Ephesians 3, he says, you've already received every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, when you were born again, you got the mind of Christ. You got everything on the inside, healing, revival, all of it is on the inside. And so what did Paul pray for the people? Double portion, give them more. No, no, here's what he prayed in verse 17. He said, Lord, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus. Unveil Jesus. That's a spirit of revelation, that revealing of Jesus to see what we've already got. Okay? And so um, I don't know how I got into that. I have no idea how I got there. But it felt good to say. Hmm. We are going to, um, at the end here in just a second, um, I'm circling in for a landing. Uh, in just a second, we're going we're gonna to ask God, we, we need a revelation of that aspect of Him in our circumstance. Okay? The solution to all the churches was a revelation of Jesus, a different aspect. And so um, just so pay attention to these because you're going to need one or all. All right. So um, uh, there's power. So they're, they're praising him for his power. That's the authority to make things happen. Might, that's the ability to persevere and courage to never fail us. <clears throat> wealth, that's all the resources to complete what he begins. I'm going to say that again. Wealth is all the resources to complete what he begins. That's good news. Wisdom, fullness of understanding as to what's next. Honor, because of all he is and all he has done. Glory, only he deserves it. And praise, we praise to open our hearts, not his. Okay, so those are seven themes of worship. Songwriters, musicians, these would be great things to focus on since heaven's singing about them. Boy, that would be amazing to have songs about each one of those things. Verses 13 and 14, I think we're closing out with this. Yes, we are. Then every living being joined the angelic choir. Every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, and everything in them were worshiping with one voice, saying, Praise, honor, glory, and dominion be to God enthroned, and to Christ the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures responded, Amen. And the 24 elders threw themselves face down to the ground and worshiped. This song causes the response of all creation People, puppies, and ponds, rivers, rocks, and rats. Sorry, it was early this morning. I wrote those. The grass, the fish, and the algae, all of creation responds. Colors, literally, praise God. All, everything in the created order responds to him. And they're waiting for that full revelation of Jesus. No, no, no. The full revelation of Christ in you and me. So here's how I want to end this. Is this good news? Oh, man. It's interesting, a lot of people are worried about the mark of the beast, but you've been marked seven times by the Holy Spirit. You're going to see right before the mark of the beast in chapter, oh, that, chapter 11, right in the end of chapter 10, you've been marked with a mark on your forehead. 
And it's a good mark, not a bad mark. Yeah, yeah. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at those seven praises, those, uh, those seven virtues of God. And first of all, just between you and God, I want you to just take a moment and uh, just say, Holy Spirit, which one of these do I need in my life right now? Do I need a revelation of your power, the authority to make something happen? Do I need a revelation of your might, that ability to persevere? What is it that you, you need resources? Do you need wisdom? What is it that you need from God to reveal? Because a, a revelation of him is the answer to your problem. He's already provided everything before you had a need. So let's just take, about, let's take a little bit on that, and then I'm going to have you guys pray for each other, and then we're going to move on. So let's take about two minutes on that. Just between you and the Lord, write it down, pray it out, whatever you need to do. All right, let's do this. Why don't you get with one other person at your table, two at the most, and, uh, and just, hey, this is what I need in my life. And maybe just pray like a 10-second prayer. Remember, we're getting heaven's perspective. We're praying from heaven's throne room where all these things are true. We're not, we're not listen, slaves beg, friends ask, sons and daughters command. So we get to pray like sons and daughters. We get to take our kingly authority and pray out as priests in the same way, okay? So, uh, so yeah, just share what it is. Hey, I need God's power. I, I need his healing power in my life, and boom. Just in the name of Jesus, I command your body to be healed. You remember, we're taking our authority in these things. Are we okay? And if you don't want to pray out loud, that's fine. Just, there's, there's enough extroverts at your table that'll, that'll do it for you. Seriously, no one needs to feel bad. Not everyone likes praying out loud. That's totally cool. And so, um, so yeah, just get with one or two other people and uh, share your need, pray, move on. If you do it the whole table, it'll probably take too long. So all right, see you guys in about two minutes.
It'll take about another 30 seconds. If you haven't prayed yet, say a quick prayer. I'm just going to pray a prayer of blessing over this. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for a revelation of Jesus, Lord. We thank you for a revelation of Easter Sunday morning, of the throne room. Lord, I thank you for a revelation, Lord, that we are the scrolls that you are breaking open, God. And we will have that complete revelation on the inside and outside. Lord, I thank you that you're, you're breaking off seals of this church. You're breaking off seals over our lives. And uh, we just submit to that, the lion and the lamb. We say, Lord, have your way. God, we don't want to hold anything back. We don't want to get to the end of this life and have regrets of not going for it. And so, uh, Lord, uh, have your way. And, Lord, we just thank you for Columbus, what you're doing here. God, I thank you that you are, uh, God, there's bringing a unity to churches. Lord, I thank you that the supernatural is becoming natural. Lord, I thank you for more and more notable miracles and dead raisings. Lord, I just thank you for a city that's prospering. Lord, I just thank you for the promise coming fulfilled that when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices, that, God, you are prospering your people on the inside and the outside. Lord, I thank you that you're blessing us to be a blessing. So, Lord, we just take hold of those promises, God. We just pray that we get to walk in them. We ask, uh, give us revelation how to walk in them more fully. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in families. But, Lord, for uh, people who are in need here, Lord, I thank you there's an aspect of yourself that's the answer. God, you provided the solution before we ever had the need. And so we just say, thank you, Jesus. Unveil Jesus to us. We pray for that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's good. Five chapters, we did it. Can you believe it? Yes.